Hi, thank you for listening to Trinity San Diego Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message will encourage you. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, you can help us by reaching others by investing at trinitysandiego.org slash give. Thanks again for joining us. Now here's Pastor Katie. I'm just going to jump right in. All right, that's just, I, I just got to go because I got a lot to say this morning. Um, but you guys should have gotten some of these notes on your seat. Yeah, you want to wave them at me, wave your notes at me. So this is really just a tool to help you follow along if you want to rec- re- recollect um, something from the message, but to really help you stay engaged. So there's some little um, spaces that you can fill in while I go uh, throughout this this message here, but um, I want to talk about the topic of anxiety. Um, has any, uh, uh, for a show of hands, if you're brave enough, have you ever felt anxiety before in your life? Basically the entire room, okay? That's every hand was basically raised right there, um, which is why I think it's a really important topic to talk about because it affects basically every human being. Uh, If you're breathing, you've experienced anxiety. And uh, Todd talked about the pathway to peace last week. And so when we were praying, um, I got this confirmation of this scripture over and over and over again, probably eight different times and from eight different venues. I had this scripture pop up this, this week as I was praying about this message. And so Usually when God's trying to get my attention or get our attention, he just keeps repeating it until we're like, oh, oh, okay. This is the eighth time I've seen this verse this week. Maybe I should pay attention. Okay, so that's what I did. I had the light bulb moment. And so I want to start with the word of God this morning, and I want to pray. So in Philippians 4, 4 through 8, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it, or it's on your notes. Uh, It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I get, I, again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And then finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So Lord, that's your word right here. And this is an encouraging scripture, but it's also a scripture full of commands on how we are to manage anxiety in our culture, in our own individual lives, in our families. And so I pray right now that it would be your Holy Spirit that would move and would speak to the depths of who we are about this topic and give us, give us the impartation and the knowledge knowing that we do not have to live in a prison of anxiety, that you, you died to set us free from every prison, including uh, being anxious. So Father, I thank you for this word this morning. In your name, amen. 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 Hey, uh, so I don't know if any of you know what the Nextdoor app is. Do you guys know what the Nextdoor app is? Okay, so some people do. I had just found out about this app just maybe like a few months ago, maybe six to eight months ago. And what it is, is it's an app where you can type in your address and your zip code, and it attaches you to a group that's, that's 
your next door neighbors or like your, your literal next door neighbors. So you're in like this vicinity. You can see what's happening in the vicinity of like a two mile radius or a five mile radius, I don't know, um, of your house. And so neighbors are constantly posting like, hey, I'm having a garage sale. Uh, I'm on Tobiasin if you want to stop by Saturday. Or uh, sometimes they, they share things like, um, Hey, what's going on off of the uh, 15 and Poway Road exit? Anybody know? And then people will reply. You know, people who are on the app and they're in the same area, they'll just respond. So it's kind of like a social media app, but not really. Uh, anyway, I find it helpful sometimes <laughs> to find out of things that are going on in our neighborhood. And so uh, a few months back, uh, I saw a very disturbing post on the Nextdoor app, and I have a picture of it. If we could go ahead and throw that up there. Y'all see that? Yeah. So a woman posted this on the Nextdoor app, which, mind you, if she's posting it and it's on my feed, that means it's within a two-mile radius of where I live. And so she posts this picture of this rattlesnake that she had found in her backyard, okay? And I was... Uh, immediately, like reading the post, okay? So I'm reading it and she, she describes how big this rattlesnake is and she's like, I just want everybody on here to know that uh, I have a, uh, a cat that just got bit by this uh, rattlesnake and she died on the spot. And uh, another cat, I have another dog that just barely escaped this rattlesnake and, and, and I'm like, well, if you're so scared, like why are you taking pictures of it? Like, you know what I mean? Like I was thinking like, why? She's like over there like taking pictures and. I, you know, I would have been like out of there, like <laughs> locked up, you know? And so she's like, I'm just telling you to warn you. It's that time of year. And then I start seeing other rattlesnake posts pop up. And I see other people's replies going on to the same app. And so I'm reading all of these things and I am getting more and more anxious like as the, as the time goes on. And so like any good mother, as I read this post, I take a screenshot of it and I send it to the nanny. Okay, because that's what, what, that's what we do, right? We don't take care of our kids ourselves. We just send it to the nanny. I'm kidding, Danae. Danae's here. And Danae, Danae I, so I did. I freaked out, and I was like, Danae, you need, to, you need to watch this right now. Don't let the kids go outside. Don't, don't let them outside. Uh, if you need to go outside for any reason in particular, before I get home, you need to check the premises completely. <laughs> and you need to be thorough. Do not let the kids outside. So she's like, it's okay. I won't let the kids outside. So I get home, I get home, and I am like out of my mind about the rattlesnake. And so I'm like looking around as soon as I get out of my car, you know, to make sure that there's not one like right in front. And then, so I, and then I like run to the door, you know, get in the door, and, and I close the door, and I'm like, did you see any rattlesnakes? You know, first thing I ask her, I'm like, did you see any? She's like, no, it's fine. And I'm like, okay. So then I was like, I'm reading through these replies, and they're, they're saying, oh, yeah, I got one over on... Um, over on by Star Ridge Park, you know, which is like kind of far, a little bit farther away from my house. And so I'm thinking like, these people have snakes in their backyard. I'm gonna have a snake in my backyard. <laughs> snakes are just gonna infiltrate my backyard. This is what's gonna happen. This is my life. I live in California. What if, what if a snake bites my kid? What if, what if Carter goes to the hospital and he dies? Like I start, I start getting like 
all in my head, right? I start hamster wheeling this thing. And I'm, uh, it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse, and I start imagining even worst-case scenarios, and I'm imagining trying to have Christmas without Carter because he got, he got bit by a rattlesnake and how awful that's going to be. And I'm like literally, I'm, I'm bawling right now in this moment, imagining having to do the first Christmas without Carter, all because of an imagined threat, okay? Imaginating. I imaginated myself into a family of three and a very terrible Christmas. <laughs> All because of what one person saw in their backyard, which, by the way, I found out later, it wasn't even in my vicinity of my neighborhood. How many times do we imagine threats about things happening within our own neighborhood? And they, they're not even in your area. You're so distant. It's so far away from where you're at. And, and, and yet we create these scenarios in our minds. We create relational issues based off of, oh, well, I think she looked at me like this. And, ooh, and I heard her say this. Ooh, and he, he mentioned this last week. Oh, I bet you I'm getting fired. I bet you I'm getting fired. We're not going to have Christmas this year because I'm getting fired. I'm getting the pink slip. Okay, how many times do we do that, though? You see, I think that we have to take a look at, before we can go further this morning about anxiety, we have to differentiate and separate, uh, separate fear and anxiety because a lot of us use those two inter interchangeably. Like, we use those as, like, they're coupled together. And the reality is, is they are not twins, but they're cousins. Does that make sense? So they're not identical, they're not the same thing, but they are closely related to each other. And the thing is, is that uh, fear sees a threat, okay? This woman actually saw a threat, okay? But anxiety imagines a threat. That's the difference. That's how you differentiate between the two. See, fear screams, get out. Fear screams, get out. Anxiety ponders, what if? Because it's an imagined threat. You see, because one what if leads to another what if leads to another what if. That's anxiety. Fear results in fight or flight. Anxiety creates doom and gloom. If anyone has ever experienced anxiety in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because anxiety creates doom and gloom because it puts you in a prison. It puts you in a, in a state of paralysis where you don't, you don't know what to do. Because what if I step out? What if I let my kids go outside and play in the backyard? And what if that rattlesnake is there? And what if it bites them? So I just keep, I just keep my kids, I just kept my kids locked up for weeks because I was so like obsessed with the what if, what could happen. Instead of responding to an actual threat, I was living my life in prison to a fake one, to an imagined one. And how many times do we do this in our relationships, in our jobs, where we live confined to a prison of anxiety when Jesus died to set you free? He said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so if we say that we believe that and we're covered by the blood of Jesus, why do we lock ourselves in our house and not let our kids go outside for days on end? Because we think we're going to get bit. I don't know. But I think it has something to do with imagined threats in our imagination and in our mind. And so we've talked about the mind a lot this last month and how the mind has so much power to determine and dictate our actions, right? But you can choose what you believe because belief precedes behavior. You can choose to believe that God is good 
right? So we trust him. You can choose to believe that God is sovereign. He's in ultimate control. So if he's good and he's sovereign, then everything that I walk through is either uh, meant to bring about a good purpose if it's not good right now, or everything I walk through is good. I just thought I'd give you a few quotes, or I'm sorry, not quotes, but statistics. But one thing that I learned when I was reading about anxiety is that it has a Latin root, uh, that actually means to choke or to squeeze, to like squeeze. And any, if, if you've ever experienced anxiety or extreme anxiety, um, which I have personally, physically, and in my mind, I physically feel like I can't take a deep breath because it's choking and it's squeezing my air supply, my diaphragm. That's the root word of what anxiety is. But look at this, 17% of Americans this year will feel the effects of a panic attack. Panic attack. So we are stressed to the max as Americans. I think it's funny that this is Freedom Week. This is the week that we as Americans proclaim our freedom and we celebrate our freedom. And we're, we're celebrating the stars and the stripes, but we've become a nation that is all about stress and strife. Good. On Freedom Week. No way. Not this house, right? Amen. Come, on. Come on, tell your neighbor, neighbor say, no devil, not today. No Just say it one more time for good measure. No not, today. not today, devil. Stress-related <laughs> stress ailments now cost the country an estimated $300 billion in medical bills and lost productivity each year. I think it's interesting that it, they mentioned lost productivity. Because again, it's kind of reinforcing the fact that um, you either have to, you have to take medicine to be able to manage your life and to be able to get up and keep st taking steps forward because the steps of the righteous are ordered. It's in the Bible that we are to keep moving forward. We're to keep moving through our life. We were never meant to lay in bed paralyzed by anxiety. We were never meant to lay uh, locked up in our home paralyzed by the fear or the, the threat of something potentially happening. We were meant to keep moving. And so lost productivity in our workplaces is, is astounding these days because people can't cope. They don't know how to cope. And I was watching this movie the other night with um, Reese Witherspoon. She's really one of my favorites. And um, uh, she was, this, it, the storyline is that she's a single mom moving back into the city of Los Angeles. And she's bringing her two young girls with her um, and so she's driving them to school, and it's their first day, of the, the first day of school. And she's talking to her oldest daughter, which is about nine or ten in the front seat. And she's like, tell me how you're feeling right now about your first day of school. And the little girl uh, looks at her, and she goes, ah, I'm just exhausted and depressed, and I feel so anxious, Mom. And um, while it was a fictitious character, I kind of thought it was fitting that they had a nine-year-old talking about anxiety and depression because it's kind of a picture of what our culture is, right? Like, like we've got elementary age students feeling a level of pressure because of anxiety now. I didn't know what anxiety was until I was in my 20s. Did, did you guys know about anxiety before you were like in your 20s? No which is why it's just scary for the next generation. 
That's why it's scary for our kids because now it's not only it's not only coming on our parents or on us, but now it's being passed down through us onto the next generation. Our kids are feeling a level of pressure and imagined threat. You, Lucas meets with the youth once or twice a month, and the biggest thing that they say that they, they want him to speak about is anxiety. These kids are nervous that they're not going to get into the right Ivy League school. They're, they're nervous that um, they're, they're not going to um, be the best person on the basketball team. They're nervous that they're not going to be the best athlete, in, student, whatever, whatever it is that they're pursuing. They're so wrapped up in anxiety that this is what actually leads to drug abuse in, this, in students. Whether it's medication, medication, drug abuse, or whether it's um, illegal drugs, we've seen this over and over and over again that people can't cope. It's too much to cope. You're too young at nine years old to be able to, to, to process anxiety. But our kids are having to do that. And so I'm just thinking this is an epidemic because I have felt it now in the last few years of my life more so than ever. And so I have to believe that this is a generational attack on us. It's, a, it's, it's, it's not the oldest, it's this, okay, let me just back up here. Anxiety has been around for ages because it's in the Bible. But for whatever reason in the day and age that we're living in, it is expanded and it is, it is, it is multiplying by leaps and bounds. So I want to just share, I want to break up this, this scripture today. I just have two ideas that I want to break up in Philippians 4 that I wanted to just share with you about how I my own process of how I combat anxiety in my life and what you can do as well and what the Bible says about it. So let's just read Philippians 4, 4 through 7 again. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The word rejoice, this has been getting brought up to me <laughs> over and over in my devotionals to rejoice. Rejoice. Sometimes uh, I woke up last Sunday morning, and sometimes, I'll just be honest with you guys, sometimes I feel anxious on Sunday mornings because um, I'm nervous that the Wi-Fi is going to go out, <laughs> or I'm nervous that one of the lights are going to explode, or I'm nervous. I'm nervous about stuff, right? I wake up with anxiety. I have, I have anxiety just like you have anxiety. It might be different. It might look different from what your everyday life is, but I struggle with it too. So I woke up on, on Sunday morning with uh, a level of anxiety, and as soon as I started praying, God spoke to me the verse. He said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, and I will be glad in it. And he said, Katie, doesn't matter how you feel right now. You're imagining things to start going wrong before you've even got out of bed. You better start rejoicing in this day before you get there. And this is what I, this is what I realized when I was researching the word rejoice. Uh, it has this amazing definition. It, it means to cause joy to. Because sometimes we're like, this is a nice word, rejoice. We sing it a lot at Christmas time. You know, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Okay, no, nobody's with me. Okay, nobody knows that song, babe. That's a Christmas song for when Jesus comes. Okay, anyway, um, I'm going to move forward now. Anyway, it means to cause joy to. And when I think about to cause joy to, that actually, in, in a picture in my mind, that actually means that I have something 
to push joy onto. Like I have joy within me that I can cause to be pushed into an atmosphere. I have joy within me because when you, be, when you believe in Christ, uh, it says that we get the, the Holy Spirit and so the fruits of the Spirit are within our lives. So you do have joy within you. Even if you don't feel like you're living and you're walking in it, the fruits of the Spirit are within you and they might not be ripe yet, but, but you got it in you. And so if you are going to rejoice, see, anxiety is like a cloud, okay? It's gonna come and it's gonna go. And anxiety is unavoidable. I hate to tell you this. If you came to hear me say that you're never gonna feel anxious again, I, I, that would be a lie. What I wanna tell you though, is that it comes and it goes and you can fight back. You can have the right tools within you to start pushing back against it. Because you know that you're in a spiritual battle, right? You know that there's constantly forces coming against you. And a lot of us feel that in the form and the shape of anxiety. So when anxiety starts to infiltrate your environment, when anxiety starts to infiltrate your mind, when anxiety starts to infiltrate your relationships, what does God say to do? He says rejoice because you are causing joy to be infiltrated into the atmosphere around you and therefore you are clearing a pathway for peace to descend into your heart. When you rejoice and you lift your voice when you don't feel like it, or when you feel like anxiety is choking you and choking your worship out of you, the root, that's when you've got to start screaming and rejoicing and acting like a crazy person because, because that is the only thing that will connect you to the peace of God. It's like a two-way street or a two-way tunnel going from heaven into your heart. As your praise and your rejoicing goes up, your joy is coming out and his peace is coming down. Amen. You are shifting the environment by bringing peace within yourself, but you have got to choose. You have to activate your will. We talk about this a lot. You have to activate your will to rejoice. You have to think about, when I rejoice, I am pushing joy against this thing that's coming at me. Rejoicing in the Lord is not a call to a feeling. That's really important. It's a decision, and it's because God is good. See, we will behave according to what we believe. And if we do not believe that God is good, then we will behave and we will uh, believe that our circumstances that we're facing, if they're not favorable, we will believe that that is a reflection of how God feels about us. So if we're going through a really hard time and we don't believe that God is good and that God is sovereign over our life and that he orders our steps, then we're going to say, well, what's wrong with me? Why, why doesn't anyone want to stay with me in a relationship? Why do people always leave? Why can't I find a job? We start questioning those things. And then we start saying the what ifs, right? Like when we start questioning, then we're like, well, what if I never find a job? What if I never find a spouse? What if I never have kids? What if I, what if I never, what if I never? So we just get into this little hamster wheel of a rat race, okay? And then it starts to choke us, therefore, it's very difficult to rejoice and to push joy into the situation. But that's why it's so important for us to look at what we really believe about God. Do you believe that he is good? Do you believe that he's sovereign? In Psalm 34, 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good, and oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Oh, the joy. It says, In his presence there is fullness of joy. That's where we find it. 
So you've got to believe. This is a hard thing for Christians, by the way. This is a hard thing. Uh, and why I think it's really necessary to talk about in church um, to get a biblical perspective of anxiety because our culture is talking about anxiety all the time. You know, you hear it talking so freely with teenagers. I mean, I hear it with, with the youth all the time. I mean, everybody feels anxiety about something. Everybody's going through something. And when you as a Christian or you as a follower of Jesus are experiencing anxiety and we have been taught that the Christian life is all about love and joy and peace and the abundant life. And John 10.10, Jesus died uh, to give us abundant life. But you're experiencing anxiety at home and you're hearing this at church. You're like, what's wrong with me? Why is my reality not matching up to my faith or what I am hearing in church? And so you start to doubt your Christianity. You start to doubt your faith. And then you start to doubt who God is, Right? And so we have to go back to what our belief system is, that we believe that God is good and that he is sovereign and that he orders our steps. So whatever I'm walking through right now, no matter how hard it is, it says that the steps of the righteous are ordered and everything will turn out for my good in the end. So if it's not good, it's not the end. Okay? It's not good, it's not the end. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Max Lucado said that. I think it's interesting that in prison, Paul was actually writing this letter. He was writing from a physical prison. Now, many of us find ourselves locked into a theoretical prison, paralyzed by anxiety. But prior to Paul writing this letter, he had been um, beaten. He had been locked up in chains. Um, flogged multiple times, body was beaten, broken. He was bitten by a snake. It's a common theme today. Might go, I might go with it all the way to the end. We'll see. Um, he was bitten by a viper. He was bitten, uh, or he, I'm sorry, he was shipwrecked. Okay, Ew. think about just those circumstances. And he's all doing it in the name of Jesus. He's all doing it on mission for Jesus. And, and the thing is, is that even if one of us would have encountered one of those situations when we were doing what, what we felt like God was asking us to do, I think most of us would be like, I don't think you asked me to do this. <laughs> this doesn't feel good. In fact, the reality is, is that when you're doing something for Jesus and you're on mission for him, you will have shipwrecks. You will have snake bites. You will have people bickering at you because he was planting churches at the same time that this was all happening. So he's planting churches and he's trying to encourage the believer. And then he's, you know, got all these people causing division in the church. And then he's got sexual immorality going on at this church. And then he's got all these issues. So he's, he's got a lot going on. Okay. And he's, and he's got a lot of not good things going on. Okay. And yet this man is writing this letter in the middle of a prison cell saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but by everything in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God will come and guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. When he's saying, I rejoice in the middle of a prison cell, I kind of imagine him being like, I rejoice. I push back against all of the thoughts that are threatening to consume me. Because Nero was the emperor at the time, and Nero was slaughtering Christians uh, just left and right. 
He never knew if he was going to live or die in that prison cell. So I imagine that he had to have a pretty ironclad will to get up and to say, I will rejoice. I will cause joy to come about into this environment because I cannot control everything that's happening around me, but I can control my mindset and I can control my joy and I will worship God because he is good and because he's sovereign and because he will release me at the proper time if I do not give up. So I want to close. If you guys would come and join me, the worship team, that would be great. I'm going to close with the second part of the passage that I listed. And it's, this is like Paul saying, now this is how you apply it. Now this is how you go and you live it out. This is how you do it step by step. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, and if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. I included on your notes something. The last time I, I spoke a message about, about this particular passage, because you know um, I've, I've spoken on it before, but I was really wrestling with how to explain how I think about each of these topics, right? So when Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, you know, it sounds like a little bit like rhythmic, and so it can sound kind of like a nursery rhyme that we just bypass. But um, I started to really think about it, and I wanted to write down some things that I could fix my thoughts on in each of these categories attached to some scripture um, because I really wanted to start putting it into practice instead of just talking about it. Um, I wanted to just start doing it. And so um, I wrote down some of these things that I came up with, um, and I think a lot of them are universal um, for the believer. But I also listed some, some, some lines because I think that you should take this home and really think about some of your own personal affirmations. What is true for you? Um, like you could take mine. Um, my first one is, what is true? Jesus loves me. God loves me. And it says in verse, it says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus for me. I have a hope and a future. So when I don't know about the future and I'm uncertain about the future, I can say Jeremiah 29.11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. That's what's true. Then I go on to noble. And so I started praying and I was like, Lord, what's noble? What is noble? What do, I, what do I see as noble in my life? And I wrote down perseverance through struggle. That's noble. When you're, when you're facing something hard and you keep persevering, that's noble. Uh, the discipline to choose joy over discouragement. We all feel discouraged sometimes when we choose to choose joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength in Nehemiah 8.10. What's right? Here's for me, believing that miracles have happened before and they'll happen again in the right time. What's pure? Me considering others over myself. That's pure. Pure motives consider other people more important than myself. And it says that in Philippians 2, 3 through 5, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. I put my children under pure as well because that's what's pure to me. And when I think about my children, I think about the innocence of childhood. 
And I think about the purity of motives and the purity of mind. And so I choose to think about these things. And Psalm 127.3 says, children are a gift from the Lord. What's lovely? I put creation and I love the beach. <laughs> That's kind of more personal to me. But I mean, I think we all live here, so you might like the beach too. Anyway, I just wanted to give you some kind of tools to take home with you and to really think about the affirmations that maybe God wants you to start focusing and fixating your thoughts on so that if you feel like there's this imagined threat coming at you that's threatening to make you feel anxious, this is what you do. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, for, what, for whatever that looks like for you, and then you just start meditating on those things. Don't even allow the rattlesnakes into your head. Even if they're in their backyard, don't let it into your head. I thought that uh, I would share a really personal story um, to close because I think that this topic hits close to home for a lot of people. And whether you have experienced a panic attack in your life or not, um, I think you could probably relate at some level to feeling anxious, but I had never experienced a full-on physical panic attack in my life until a few years ago. In fact, like I said earlier, I didn't even know what anxiety was. When people would talk about having anxiety, I was like, like you're just worried? Like what does that mean? Like you're just worried about something that might not happen? And I was like, I kind of was like, I was in, uh, insensitive about it because I was kind of like, well, get over it. It says it's fine, you know. It says do not worry, don't worry, get over it. That's what Jesus says. But let me tell you something. Last few years, I have had a level of understanding and compassion for people that really struggle with anxiety and that are that are paralyzed. That there's a threat on their life to not keep moving forward as a result of anxiety because I have felt it in my own life. A few years ago, Todd and I were driving on a road trip and uh, there was a situation that happened and a big, huge mess uh, that happened and it involved a lot of people that we knew and there was rumors flying around and there was all kinds of like speculation and just really nasty stuff and it involved us and we were on our way to a vacation somewhere, a destination somewhere, and all of this was blowing up. And then I started having text messages come to my phone of people that knew about the situation or had heard about the situation. And they were like, what's going on? Have you heard about this? And do you know anything about this? And it was um, one of the most stressful times of my life, stressful on my mind, on my emotion, and on my body. And I had never felt a a physical response to stress like I did in that moment. And Todd saw it happening. And you know how I said that anxiety has, it, the, the Latin root is to choke or to squeeze. It was like I almost felt a hand gripping my diaphragm and, and squeezing the air out of my lungs. And I started, and a lot of people who have had a panic attack, if you've had a panic attack, you know what this feels like. It's hyperventilating. You start to hyperventilate. Because think about if you're, if you're underwater for too long and you hold your breath too long, what, what, do you, what starts to happen? You, you start to panic. You, you just get frantic, right? Because your body requires oxygen. And so you just do anything that you can, but your mind can't focus on anything else. And so you get panicky. That's why they call it a panic attack. 
And so I'm sitting in the front row <laughs> like this, no joke. Couldn't catch my breath. And Todd, Todd was like, what's, what's going on? What, are you okay? And I was like, <laughs> no, I was like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I feel like something's choking me. And I was like, I just need you to pray for me right now. Just pray for me right now. And so we're driving. He's praying with his eyes open. All of you, you know how that goes. You know, you got to pray with your eyes open sometimes. Don't want to drive. Don't want to close your eyes when you're driving. So he grabs, he grabs the wheel and he's just praying. And he's like, in the name of Jesus, I just pray right now for calm. I pray right now for peace over my wife right now. And I just, I just believe in the name of Jesus that this is going to lift right now. And um, what happened was, is that it would lift while, while he was saying the name of Jesus and while he was praying. And then when he would, he would get done praying, uh, it would slowly, slowly uh, come back and it would, it would, it would like retract and then it would claw again. And it was this weird thing. And guys, I just can't even explain it except for that went on for two hours where it would, it would retract when he would pray for me. And then I'd be like, pray for me again, pray for me again. I feel it again. And it's like, it like overwhelms you. It overwhelms your mind. It overwhelms your body. And if you've never experienced it, you know what? I'm really happy for you because this is not fun to live in a prison of anxiety. It's not fun. It paralyzes you. You don't know what to do. I, I was getting text messages from people and I was like, I can't talk to anybody. I can't, I can't get out and go to the bathroom. I can't do anything right now. Like I just was paralyzed in that front seat. And so then Todd was praying for me and he just said, you need to start praying. And I was like, I can't, I can't breathe. The whole time I'm going like this, right? We're trying to keep the kids distracted so they don't know what's happening, you know, in the front seat. And I'm like, I can't right now. And he's like, you have to. He's like, the Holy Spirit's telling me, you have to start lifting your voice now to get over this. And he said, you need to rejoice right now. You need to start worshiping him. What happened was I, I activated my mind and my will. Even though I couldn't breathe, I was like, I got to do this. Because I'm not going to live through this. I, don't, I feel like I'm not going to breathe again. And what came to mind, the Holy Spirit, he's so sweet, you guys. What came to mind was a very old Hillsong song. It's called Still. And um, the lyrics go, When the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm. But then there's another, uh, there's another part of it that says, um, Find rest, my soul, in Christ alone. Know his power in quietness and trust. In quietness and trust. And that's all I heard in my spirit. In quietness and trust. And so I just kept saying that over and over and I sang it over and over and eventually this cloud lifted and it was gone. But then it came back again. And the reason why I'm telling you that it, that it comes and goes and it comes and goes is that because it is unavoidable for you to experience anxiety, but you have to know how to deal with it once it comes at you. It came back again a few days later. And God will always meet you in those anxious moments if you lift your voice to him, if you cause joy to go into that situation. So it came back another, it came back another day. A few days later, it started threatening to kind of overwhelm me again. And so I didn't know what battle we had to fight, but I said, Lord, do I need to fight a battle right now? Do I need to go get on the phone right now with some people? Do I need to go set some people straight? Do I need to go take care of this? What battle do I need to fight? As I'm, as I'm writhing in pain. And he said to me, you need not fight. You need only to be still. Go read Exodus 14, 14. 
the Lord told me, you don't need to fight. You need only to be still because I will fight this battle for you. So he gave me peace. And again, in that moment, the anxiety lifted. It came back another few days later, came back another few days later, even harder and stronger than what I had felt in the car. And so then I was like, okay, God, maybe I didn't hear you right. Maybe I didn't hear you when you spoke that scripture to me that I was, that I was not supposed to fight, that I was only to be still. Maybe I'm supposed to fight now because I'm feeling anxious. What if? What if I don't do something? What if, what if, what if? Like anxiety, what it tells you to do. And so he, he directed me I opened up my Bible, and it doesn't always happen like this, but literally I opened up my Bible to Isaiah 30, 15. And I apologize, I don't have it for you on the screen. If you have your Bible, you can read along with me. But in Isaiah 30, 15, in the middle of another almost panic attack, the Lord says to me, read Isaiah 30, 15. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength. And what was so special about this moment for me, this confirmation moment, was that not only was he confirming that he did speak to me in that panic attack moment about the quietness and trust is my strength, but he led me to the passage of scripture where it was located. And then look at this. I have a picture of how he confirmed it. You can see in my Bible, that's what it looks like. In repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength. But off to the side right here, there is a scripture that is cross-referenced, meaning that it is connected to that passage. It's Exodus 14, 14. It says, you need not fight. You need only to be still. Isn't that amazing? That is how the Lord had confirmed yet again to me in an anxious moment that he was speaking to me and that he would not allow me to live in a prison paralyzed by anxiety. He would let me be still and know that he would fight my battle for me if I would only lift my voice and rejoice and put joy into the circumstance, put joy into the environment that I was facing. If you would stand with me,